Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, and uh, we've got a theme on the Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, of course. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about uh, the Word. Uh, and there's these two different worlds that oftentimes get experienced in extremes in church culture. Uh, that would be those that really love the Word and are rooted in the Word. Uh, and, that, uh, and that part of kind of Christian expression oftentimes gets polarized against or on the opposite side of the coin of those who love the Spirit uh, and who love the presence uh, and who love the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but of course, those things don't need to be expressed or experienced in opposite, polar, contradictory ways. Uh, but God invites us to a place of experiencing in the fullness of his word and a love for the word, but also in the fullness of his spirit. Uh, these things aren't in contradiction. They're in complement. Uh, they're in alignment. and They're in connection. And in fact, as we study and we read today, uh, they're very much from the same place. Uh, the word of God, the spoken word of God, and then the spirit of God, which is the word became flesh and then became and or ascended into heaven and was sent to us through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about all that, but I actually want to open it up with the story of the Holy Spirit prompting me and leading me. I thought Annalisa sharing uh, about just the testimonies is actually where we're going very much to really champion the stories of what Jesus is doing in each other's lives and to sharing it and being faithful in that. So I wanted to share with you guys, uh, I was in Hawaii and last Saturday, uh, I got a text from somebody inviting me to preach at a church in Kihei, Hawaii. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of fun. And so I talked to the wifey. I was like, hey, babe, what do you think? And I love preaching. And so I was jazzed at the idea, even though I told myself, uh, this is vacation, this is rest, protect that, spend time with your family, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so we were talking and uh, we were like, yeah, man, this sounds good. Uh, I love preaching. Also, what a joyous idea of having a church in Hawaii that would maybe invite me back. And then I get to go to Hawaii again. Hey, that's fun. Uh, and so all these ideas and all these conversations were happening. And then, you know, Jess and I, we got to a place where I'm like, I'll get over there, uh, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then I'll get back. Maybe the kids won't even notice. <laughs> and so I, uh, and so I was like, okay, cool. And so I go to the bathroom and we're right about there where we're about to wrap it up and I'm about to go preach, right? The next day. And so when I go to the bathroom, I just feel this very subtle nudge from God to talk to my kids and bring it up to them and bring them into the decision-making process. And I was like, okay, cool, that sounds good. So I went to go talk to my kids. I paused for the movie they were watching. And I said, hey, guys, let's talk about something real quick. Uh, I was like, Dad got an invite to preach at a church uh, in Kihei. Uh, I would go. Uh, you guys would be hanging out, beach, pool. You guys would barely even notice I'm gone. I might have slightly sold it the other way, you know? But I was like, hey, what do you guys think? So Brightly at first was like, well, can I go? That was her main thought. Uh, and then we were talking about a little bit about the second thing my son Brixton said, he's seven years old, was <clears throat> he says to me, and my son, if you know him, he's a th he thinks. You know, he really thinks. If you ever catch him just like staring at you, <laughs> like Brayden and I were talking about it yesterday, like we were at the baseball game and he went up to go to the bathroom and I watched him go to the bathroom and literally at the top of the stairs, he get, there's, there's somebody right here, he gets up and he just like looks at him like, <laughs> and he just stared at the guy and then walk, kept walking. I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. But he's like, you know, he's processing, he's thinking. So he's doing the same thing when I tell him this, right? 
And then he says to me, very, very pointed, he goes, he goes, so, so you're saying that you would rather preach than spend time with us? No. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I was actually just kidding about all that. <laughs> that was a joke. It was a test, really. I'm testing your faith. Um, and I was like, whoa. And I was like, no, you know what? Um, and then, you know, Brightly was like, well, can we go? And then some others were talking about it. And right when he said that, I knew I wasn't going. I was like, well, that's the end of that story. <laughs> but we talked about it a little bit longer, and we kind of prodded on some things and just, you know, but, uh, and then I actually laughed because at one point, you know, my four-year-old Presley, she's like, uh, I just want to know when we're going to be done with the conversation so I can get back to watching the movie. <laughs> and my two-year-old was like, bah, <laughs> don't care about any of this. <laughs> so I was really grateful to God because I wasn't going to talk to him about it. I was going to tell him about it, tell him about our decision, but you know, I really believe the Holy Spirit nudged me and prompted me to discuss it with my kids and decide with them what we were going to do on our family vacation. And I'm so grateful to God because, you know, as a pastor's kid, you know, you get to experience uh, the sacrifice of said pastor on the child side. So I was grateful that I got to experience those moments and those times where I didn't get to weigh in or have a conversation about what the sacrifice of a parent was in ministry. Anybody that's raised in ministry or spent a lot of time in ministry, a lot of times the kids pay the price, but without any say on the price being paid. And I know this, and yet still I needed the Holy Spirit to prompt me to discuss it with my kids. And I was so grateful to the Holy Spirit that I got to hear my son's heart, and I got to see how he would have experienced it if I just made the decision. And I'm relatively persuasive, so I could have made the decision. And I could have convinced my kid. I could have even enticed him with gifts and or some other kind of chocolate of some kind, some kind of sweetener to the bad deal, you know? <laughs> hey, dad's gone for three hours, but maybe I give you candy or an arcade or something. So I was really grateful to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, I, I wanted to discuss and teach today the power of the Holy Spirit's partnership in our life because he's a beautiful guide and there's a lot there's a lot of decisions that we face every single day that the Holy Spirit wants to help us on because our decisions aren't always so clear cut on what God would want us to do because there's a lot of good options. You know, Elisa's got a good options ahead of her uh, to stay and endure in those places or to choose to take on that upper, other opportunity or maybe there's a third variable that'll get introduced very soon. So there's a lot of ways we process and a lot of things that we get to process Holy Spirit's a guide and a helper in all this. So if we turn to our word in John 1, 1 through 2, we'll begin to see this picture of how the word of God, scripture of the word, actually connects very much to the spirit of God and our partnership and our expression or Christianity in both of these areas should not be divided, but should be complementary to one another. And in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word, capital W, was with God, and the word, capital W, was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is referring to Jesus. John 1, 14, and the word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we see this really cool perspective of the word, right? Oftentimes when we talk about the word, we're like, how many of you are in your word? How many of you brought your word to church and you, know, you lift your Bibles up or something like that? 
So oftentimes the idea of the word is the Bible. Uh, and this isn't a bad description of the Bible, but it actually is very helpful for us to understand the Bible as the word of God, because then we actually understand that the word of God became a person that walked the earth. And that very person walked the earth as the son of God, the word became flesh. And at the time, at the fullness of his journey, he ascends into heaven and sends the spirit of God as a gift to us to help us on our journey. And so we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, but sometimes we don't have a very clear image of what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And sometimes TV or popular charismatic and Pentecostal pictures painted of the Holy Spirit is that very small, narrow picture of the Holy Spirit, which is altar, hands laid, momentary, immediate, touch of God, fall, healed, broken through immediately. And this picture sometimes is not holistically representative of what the Holy Spirit's role is in our life. God can do something in a moment in power, but he can also do something over nine years, partnering and processing with your soul or your spirit or your mind to be healed and transformed. So the work of the Holy Spirit should be seen in its fullness. And when you see that the word became flesh and in the flesh, that Jesus walks the earth in perfection in beautiful, perfect obedience to God the Father and then ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to us. So the spirit of God and or the spirit of the word lives inside of us. And this is important because it will change the way we read the word of God. And when you see in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So you see in this scripture, and even if you reference John 15, it says, abide in me and I in you. And this is Jesus talking. So we see right away two different references that God lives in us. Now, God lives in us in the fullness, not in just what we mentally understand. This is huge because you and I don't have a full mental understanding of who God is. We go from glory to glory or our mind becomes transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means that your mind in its current form right now will change in order for you to mentally understand him more fully. You guys with me on this? You tracking with me? So your cabeza, your brain is actually inferior. That was my, that was my bilingual expression. That's about as good as it gets. I got a little bit of French I could throw in there. Um, but not much. So what you've got going on right here is you've got this guy right here. Even if you think you're super brilliant, super smart, and can perceive all the mysteries of God, your brain is only a percentage or a shade in its understanding of the fullness of God. And yet, you have the fullness of God living inside of you. That's super interesting. So the Bible talks about us being spirit-led, and there's a reason we're supposed to be spirit-led. Because if we're led by our brains and our paradigms, then we are uh, subservient to our ideas. And if you're subservient to, subservient to your ideas, you're subservient to only a partial understanding of God. That is inherently broken, bound, partial falsehoods, partial deceptions. So we access the fullness of the freedom and the healing and the life of God by being led by his spirit. This is huge. 
This is a really big deal, and it ought to change the way we relate to the Word of God. Because the Word of God, then, is the written fullness of God, and we can experience it by reading it. But also, and this is important, you and I may not experience the Spirit of God in reading the Bible. We may be missing it. There's plenty of people that read the Bible and don't actually experience God. There's many unbelievers that read the Bible specifically to debunk Christianity. So we and I, you and I, we know that reading the Bible doesn't inherently cause you to encounter the Spirit of God. It requires a secondary intentionality on our part to connect with God when we read the Bible. Like that? Is that good? Okay, so there's some goals that we have to identify. Do you read the Bible so that your pastor or friends can be proud of you for reading the Bible? Because if you're doing it to avoid guilt and shame, this is not a healthy connection motivation. If I only go on dates with my wife so no one thinks I'm a bad husband, that's not a very good foundation for love. That's not a very good foundation for relationship. If I only give begrudgingly, if I only connect begrudgingly, this isn't love. This is shame-driven, guilt-driven, condemnation-driven. And uh, what's really beautiful is that in Christ there is no condemnation. So if you have condemnation as your motivation to connect with Jesus, you're going to get to Jesus and he's going to literally be asking for your condemnation. And you're going to be like, but that was my motivation to get here, Jesus. So how do I get back here if I give you my condemnation? You're going to be really confused. So we have this relationship with God, and when we read the word, we read it with this intentionality to connect with God, with this intentionality for the word written to actually quicken an understanding of the Holy Spirit in its fullness inside of us. So I want to, I want to probe your imagination for a moment. Where do you see God in your life? Do you see God when you pray? Do you lift your head to heaven like he's up there? Because it's a classic even movie understanding. It's like, hey, God, you know, like you score a touchdown and you point up. It's really interesting. It's like kind of might be cool if we started to be like and point to inside of us. Not to say that I'm God, but to say that like, look, God lives in me. So I'm not pointing to God who lives up there. This is a misunderstanding and it's actually damaging to connection. So if my wife's in the room and I act like she's not in the room, we have a problem. Like on our honeymoon night, if I'm like, man, God, if you just send me my wife right now, Lord, that would be so awesome. And she's right there. That would be weird. Maybe it's weird that I talked about honeymoon night. I don't know. But, but look, if you pretend and are not seeing God accurately, then you're in deception. And maybe you don't see him inside of you because you feel like you're dirty and you don't deserve for him to live inside of you. So you might have reasons why you see God inaccurately. I would encourage you, whatever your source of deception is, that you give it to God. It's a counterfeit reality. Whenever the truth of God confronts the deception inside of you, one of them should go or one of them will go. That's so fun. I love that. I'm really excited about that. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we read about Jesus, when we experience the written word of God, talking about the spirit of Jesus, talking about the nature of Jesus, talking about us as co-heirs, I want to encourage you not to just read the word for information enhancement, but for you to read the word in a way that you're becoming what you are reading. 
This is where it actually changes and actually gives you and I a motivation to read the word. Because let's be honest, if you've gone to church for a little bit more than 10 years, you've probably heard all of the sermons and or read all of the verses. So like, why isn't it over at that point? Why don't you just stop attending church? You've done it. You've heard it all. Because this isn't about you becoming introduced to the information of God. It's, be, it's about you becoming that which you are reading. It's a different application. And it's different than even school. Because in school, you read about whatever, France's history, and it was knowledge. You weren't becoming French history. So it's different. When you read the Bible, it's not for you to pass a test. It's really not. It's for you to actually experience the Spirit of God in written form and connect to a God that is transforming you. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8. I want to bring you there, and I want us to be able to experience and understand how the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are partners. They're, they're the same thing, just in different applications and forms. So you have the written word, you have the spoken word, which I, when I'm preaching, I'm supposed to be speaking the word of God. And you have a responsibility to test the words I'm speaking. This is extracurricular. The Bible says test the words. I'm not offended if you, you take notes on what I'm saying and you check it to the word and you discern it and you go, hey, Pastor Samuel, which I don't know, no one really calls me that. Some people call me that. I don't know. I don't really care. You can call me Samuel. I've got some middle names, three of them. You can call me by any of those if you want. Paul Bernard Roger. I got a last name, Goulet. If you call me Goulet, I'm going to feel like you're my coach. But that's okay. You can do it. What was I saying? <laughs> yes, you can test my words. I won't be offended. And if you find error in it, I won't be offended. I'll be excited. All right, cool. So, Written word, spoken word, and the word or the spirit of God. This is the spirit of the word. So if the word became flesh and the flesh up and sent spirit of God down, the spirit is the spiritual version or the form of the word in spirit. You guys with me on this? Okay, so we got a lot of things to say on this, but I want to start in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, there's that thing again, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Three ingredients in this scripture that are important. To me, as far as what I'm saying today, you might pull a lot of things out of it, and that's awesome. Word, spirit, and conviction. I want you to observe these three things that already exist inside of you. You already have words that you subscribe to, that you live your life by. Are they the same or are they in complement and alignment with the words of God? So if you believe you're an idiot, is that also what God says about you? If you believe you're impure, is that also what God says about you? If you believe you're supposed to be famous and a millionaire, is that also the word of God for you? Whatever it is that you have attached yourself to in word, check it with the word of God, both in written and in the spirit of God and in the spoken word, does it align with God's word? Check it. Always check your words because you'll find, man, you'll say sentences. You'll be like, I believe that. I can't believe I believe that. And when you say something out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't say, oh, you know what? I didn't mean that. Just kidding. No, understand that your heart spoke it. 
So you might be ashamed that that's what's in your heart, but come to terms with it. Come to terms with it so God can heal you, transform you, renew you, regenerate you. Man, that's the thing about guilt and shame and condemnation that's always perplexed me. To me, it's a lack of understanding that God is not intimidated by your current form. He's not subject to it. He's not even embarrassed by your current form of brokenness. In fact, he already knows. So what's he gonna do? You find yourself in that place, your heart speaks and you're like, oh, that was gross. I can't believe I said that. I don't really believe that. Can't come to terms with the fact that I feel that way. So we're just gonna say that I was mistaken. (laughs) Assess your words, what you believe, what's coming out of your heart and allow the words of God to encounter your words and go through transformation and healing. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it comes in power and it comes in full conviction. I want, I want you to see a connection between the power of the Holy Spirit and your convictions. Convictions are your strongly held beliefs. Understand that the Holy Spirit in your life is persuasive. The Holy Spirit in your life and in my life, as it comes in power, it changes our belief structure. So before Holy Spirit, you're like, someone's sick, I have no effect. Holy Spirit comes in power. If you've been physically healed or seen somebody healed through you, all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, my beliefs have now shifted and I believe I could touch somebody and they could be healed by the power of God. Your belief structure shifts. Before I was delivered from addiction to pornography, I was like, man, I don't even, I, my belief system said, this is awful and I'm not sure how to get out of this. Not sure what it takes. God shows up in power and all of a sudden I have an insight to what it does and what it takes and what God does in power inside you and I. Anybody that's been delivered from any addiction before God broke that addiction in your life, you didn't have a belief system that was accessible for you to get free. God shows up in power and it changes your insight and your belief system changes. You're like, wait a second, that's crazy. Before you start tithing, you're like, I could never afford 10% of my budget to be gone. And why? (laughs) Like, is there really any life in this? Is there anything good in this? And then all of a sudden you start tithing and or giving and you see not only could you afford it, but that there was a spiritual alignment and blessing that took place that your trust grew, your faith grew, your understanding of investment grew, a lot of things grew inside of you, and that belief system wasn't accessible to you until the Holy Spirit showed up in power and visited you in your broken beliefs. So what are your beliefs? What are your words? What, What is it that you subscribe to and what power have you experienced that you yield to? This scripture right here just introduces to us the significance and importance of taking the words we believe in the power we subscribe to, and the spirit that we live by or the convictions that we live by and yielding all of them to God, allowing God to transform all three of them. All three of those ingredients must be changed. I want you to even notice the power that you've grown to trust in. This is an interesting one. Sometimes people subscribe to or they trust in a certain power in their life that isn't the power of God. I've seen some people trust in uh, tax relief. I've seen some people trust in politics as a power source to help their life. I've seen other people trust in different kinds of dark powers, different kinds of things like anger, bitterness, resentment. 
There's a lot of different powers that we will try and access or use for our life. The power of anger is one that I understood well. I even as an athlete learned to take my anger and use it to run up and down the court for eternity. Like I would get so angry in a game, my energy levels would spike, I could run for days. See, I used the power of anger. Of course, later on, that doesn't very much help in life. Later on, you start to realize that anger becomes your shield rather than a shield of righteousness. You begin to realize anger is your weapon rather than spiritual weapons. So when there's an intimidating threat that comes up to you, you have no concept of how to love your enemy because your anger has taught you to cut your enemy down. Come on, I do a dance whenever I feel people like, whoa. I should say it like, I should dance while I'm saying some of these things, you know what I mean? Like, Lord wants to deliver you from anger being your power, you know what I mean? And God wants love to be your power, you know what I'm saying? He wants to deliver you bitterness, resentment, you know? <laughs> some of you have used judgment for others to repel dangerous threats in your life, but God wants you to surrender judgment. <laughs> Did it help? <laughs> No. <laughs> Here's my <laughs> first six, first Thessalonians 1 6, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became imitators of us and the Lord. See, you cannot understand the Holy Spirit and the Word and not see shifts and or change in your behavior. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, pain. So you and I, when we're truly partnering with the Holy Spirit and we're truly rooted in the Word, then you and I see behavior changes. You and I see shifts in our appetite. She shifts in our convictions. She shifts in our ideologies. And it's so important that we actually begin to shift because, look, the word's going to become super boring to you if you're not on a transformative journey. The Holy Spirit's going to almost become like a luxury or not necessary in your life because you don't need help being yourself. You don't need the Holy Spirit to live your own life. You don't need God to be self But you don't. So if you want to live your life in pride... And self-realization, guess what? Your relationship with God is really going to struggle. Because there is no desperation. There is no hunger in that. You're satisfied by your own strength and power. So a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a, a healthy relationship with the written word of God comes when you are desperately in need of an external alien source of power of a heavenly source of power. You know, it says we're not citizens of this earth, we're aliens. So when you and I are living in the spirit, it means that we're actually not living in self, even though self is readily available to us all the time. That's why the Bible says, put off your old man. Toss that thing. There was a couple people that do shot put. They visited a few times in a javelin. I was like, oh my gosh, you have to teach me to do this. And they were laughing at me because I think they know I'm going to get hurt somehow. Because I think they told me that. They're like, well, I mean, you could get hurt. And I'm like, no big deal. 
no big deal. Like, I really want to do this. You're going to have desires all the time that are, that are counter to what God is inviting you to. This isn't necessarily an exact example of that, but I have a Hawaii story because I have to tell two, right? So we were on our way to an adventure of the uh, Nakalele Blowhole, which was awesome. Like, pff, it went up super high, and I got way closer than anyone should. And, uh, and then we were like, ooh, adventure number two, same area. It's called the Olivine Pools. Like, we're going. It's like four or five freshwater pools right by the ocean. And so I was like, we're going to do this. It's going to be awesome. And then I had the misfortune of my wife reading reviews online about the Olivine Pools. Because they say that there are a bunch of people that have died visiting them. They're probably lying. Or I want to believe they're lying so I could go to them. But, so we go there, right? I'm like, you know what, guys? People have died, so we'll just look from afar. You know? So I don't want to say that my plan the whole time was to look, assess, and then convince them I should go. But perhaps it was. And so we get there, and I'm like, guys, look at this. It's wonderful. Look at this. Like, God made that for me to go down to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, my, my kids had found out that people had died. And there was a headstone on our way to it that's like, here lies Stephen. He died and or was missing. We never found him. So needless to say, my kids are spooked. And I was like, hey, guys, I think I'm going to go down. Check out that one spot right there. Look, look, no water. Look, we'll be safe. I'll be safe, you know. And uh, so I'm trying to convince my family and my kids. And at one point, like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then my kids are like, no, Dad, no, don't go. I was like, oh, oh, this is getting real. And I'm like, oh, guys, it'll be okay. Look right there. And I start walking, and like Brixton grabs my leg. He's like, don't leave, Dad. Oh, man. I still regret not going down to the pools, guys. But, you know, I listen to my family. It's so hard for me to, like, be safe. Like, like climb, dirt bike. I'm so good at these things because, like, I don't care. You know, I'm like, yeah! <laughs> Imitators of the word, irregardless of your, your flesh desires, irregardless of your passions within that rage, you, you learn, you and I learn to have this discipline to say no to those fleshly desires and say yes to the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit and it's not necessary for us to always just go, okay, I'm going to experience the Holy Spirit in an emotional way. Like the word of God is really, really valuable to us when our emotions are all saying, do that lusty thing. Like, because there's going to be moments in your life, in my life, where we're not going to be able to access just emotional peace with God until we've said no and no and no to fleshly sinful desires. Like, I've had to say no to some sinful desires for like a day and a half. Just no. And zero, kind of like, oh, I feel good about it now. No, like, I still wanted to do it like a day and a half later. So the only thing I had was a no. You know, John 14, 26 has this really beautiful thing. It gives us insight to how the Holy Spirit operates in our life. But the helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Two things to notice here. One, the Holy Spirit can teach you. Two, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what you've already received in the word. This is important. One, Holy Spirit can teach you anything, even things you haven't seen, heard, read, learned from anybody else. The Holy Spirit can teach you original things that you have not studied. That's exciting. That's really exciting. Also, this is where we got to understand the fullness of how the Holy Spirit works with us. Holy Spirit wants you to know he can teach you things you've never learned from anybody else. Also, Holy Spirit wants you to know he can remind you of the things you've received in the word. So two things are both important in your life and should not be neglected. You can receive original things that no one else has taught you. And for some of you, that's extremely important because you might or might not be codependent in your relationship with God. Here's how you know you're codependent. You can only receive from God via someone else. Receiving from somebody else is not bad. Only being able to receive from God through somebody else is not good. If I or somebody else is your only access point of receiving from God, you must learn to break that. You must learn to access God directly. You must learn to have direct relationship with God and receive from him directly. It's the fullness of what he's designed for us. It's the fullness of how the Holy Spirit operates with us, that he can teach you all things, even the things your pastor hasn't taught you or the TV evangelist hasn't taught you or so-and-so hasn't taught you, your mentor, your teacher, your pastor, whatever it may be. He can teach you all things. Also, also, he will bring to remembrance, he will remind you of the things you've received in word, both spoken and written, which also means, and it points to those people that love to be independent, love to be on their own, love to subscribe to no man, love to gain and or access nothing from anybody because they want to prove that they could do it by themselves. That person must learn that God actually works through other people's words spoken from God to them and also works through the Bible written and you're able to receive and or be reminded of who he is and what he's doing in your life through those means. This is the beauty of how the Holy Spirit works in our life. It calls away or it calls us away from our humanistic expressions of Christianity. Some of us have a personality that's extremely independent. You and I, because that was me, we find it really, really hard to be in connection and in community because we say things like, I got this. Just give me a sec. I'll figure it out. I don't need anybody. You know, I don't want any help. I need to prove this to myself. I can do it without anybody's help. Well, guess what had to go really, really quick in my walk with Christ? Is that independent mentality. Because it's not biblical in the fullness of what God's design is for us. Submit yourself unto one another. It's biblical. Holy Spirit leads us into connection with one another. And to an independent cat, that's miserable at first. And then all of a sudden you start doing it and you start walking it out in obedience to God and you see the beauty of being connected to people. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. Wait, we struggle together? What? We give to one another so that when we're lacking, we actually have, everyone has? That's, that's incredible. That's amazing. 
And there is, you couldn't access or experience that if you didn't yield yourself to that part of Christian community and journey. And there's so much to learn about God. There's so much for us to become in godliness that walking away from our tendencies is going to be really important. The challenge is, is that oftentimes we justify and we create ideologies that protect the way we currently are. So you and I have to become pros, and I do mean the best experts at understanding the justifications and the ideologies we want to live by and yielding them to God. Uh, you can see that your ideologies or the way you live come from a few different things, parents, race, uh, ethnicity, nationality, uh, the, the way you were treated, genetics and or environment. There's a lot of different ways it goes, but I would discourage you from subscribing to an identity that isn't an identity in Christ. Even if it's an identity that you think is yours in birth. So I was French Canadian. I was. <laughs> I, I'm French Canadian in blood, you know? And there's certain things that come with being French Canadian, you know? And, and so at first I was like, I'm French Canadian, which means, and then I, I, I filled in the blank. Being French Canadian means this. You may have it different for you. It was like, so to, uh, to be Italian is this, to be Irish is this. I found out I have a little bit of Irish in me. It's right here. It's just in my beard. And so you might put in, here's my race or ethnicity, thus I am this. And, and I want to discourage you from taking on the identity of those things. And I want to encourage you to take on the identity in Christ. So uh, we don't need to villainize something in order for us to take on identity in Christ. There are things that certain race, culture, or nations have found that are totally godly and amazing. And those things you can celebrate. You could say, I'm so excited that I received those things and that those things came easy to me because I was French Canadian and I found it in God, so I'm super excited about it. It's awesome when you find that part of what your nationality, race, ethnicity, or your history was actually lent to you being able to see or be like God. It's exciting and you celebrate it. You're like, yeah, this is awesome. You know, like I understood what it meant to be a warrior, right? I understood what it meant to fight, right? And that's, there's so much beauty in that. Also, <laughs> also there's a lesson to be learned for a warrior or a fighter. That our weapons are not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers in high places. So the lesson for a warrior, and if you come from a, um, a race or an ethnicity that has had warrior, a rich warrior history, then you might need to learn, if that's in you, you might need to learn what it means to surrender. Does this make sense? So track with me on this, your, your, your history. Your humanity will say you are this, but when you walk with the Holy Spirit and when you read scripture, you'll realize that he's calling you this or calling you to this. And it may be vastly different. Guess what? You don't need to villainize where you've been in order for you to walk in life. You don't need to do it. I remember when I first got uh, really, really on fire for Jesus and walking in a vow of a Nazarite vow and consecration and separation and this, there was this phrase, no toleration. And it was so beautiful for me, right? Because it was so clear, right? God was consecrating me, he was setting me apart and he was making me holy. 
And he was saying no toleration to me, which meant no toleration of any sin in my life. It's a really, really good thing. The next thing I needed to learn was what to do with people that were tolerating sin in their life. Because at first you're like, well, it's really simple. You just don't tolerate it. And they're like, well, and you're like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I've committed to this thing. Why haven't you? And you find it hard to love. You find it hard to connect. You find it hard to even understand. So it's really beautiful is that you begin to get in these places where you're like, I totally know what God's doing. And this is totally it. And this is everything. And then you walk into the next season and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Nothing makes sense. What I learned last season doesn't seem to make any sense or any help at all. How many of you guys are there right now? How many of you guys have been there? So what's happening is that God doesn't just work in a moment and then he's done. He gives you the fullness of his Holy Spirit and season in and season out and season in and season out, you're being transformed, renewed, regenerated, changed, shifted, dynamically shifted. Whatever your foundation is right now, guess what? It's probably gonna dynamically change because whoever builds his house on sand, the house just crumbles. Whoever builds his house on the rock, it stands. You know what the rock is? It's Jesus. So whatever foundation you have that's not Jesus, guess what? God's redoing that foundation. You're like, you're like okay, so, so when, when does this end? Do you want me to lie to you? Or, like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't end. What changes is your perspective. What changes your perspective of the transformative journey? Initially, it's miserable because you're like, this is terrible. Why can't God just bless me right here and I could just stay like this and I could take God's power and I could use it for my own passions and fleshly desires? So at first, it's like, this is the worst and you're being humbled. But as you embrace humility, you understand and you accept and you embrace the long-suffering journey that is you dying to yourself and becoming like Christ every single day. So you don't like begrudgingly pick up your cross every single day and go, ugh, I guess we gotta do this again, you know? But you're excited because to die to yourself and be alive in Christ, there's a huge and amazing reward in it. When you die to yourself, it means that you die to the fear that's tormenting you. you it means you die to the chains that have ensnared you for 10, 15 years. When you die to yourself, it means that you die to the ideology that has ruled and reigned in your life and caused tons of damage in you and through you. This last two years, there's been so much dying and so much crucifixion in my life, it felt like, and so much sacrifice. The wife and I were talking last night. Oh, she's right here. My wife and I were talking last night, and uh, we were talking about the, the different... Uh, so the last year and a half, two years, there's been moments where like I've overconsumed media because I, I just, I was numbing. I wasn't wanting to be present in the moment. And uh, so we were talking about it last night and just recently, because this thing's just turned for me recently in the last, you know, three, four weeks, five, six weeks, I started turning the corner and walking into this new space. It's been a year and a half, two year journey. And it's been grueling at times, miserable at other times, awful at other times. I've sinned plenty in it. I've missed the mark 50 times. 
I've had to repent a hundred, I probably should have repented 150 times. I've had to confess even to this community at multiple times. I hate that. I don't like confessing to this community. I don't like being vulnerable and transparent. It's the worst. It really is. Like when I had to, the, basically opening day, I'm being transparent about how like I, I doubted God. I like, doubted we'd get in here. I thought we'd be homeless. I lacked faith. That's not the opening sermon message that I thought would be cool to give, you know, when I fantasized about what message to give on the first Sunday. Like, that's not what I was thinking. Hey, guys, by the way, I'm not the hero that I wanted to be. I'm not the, like, ooh, tough guy in, in the faith I wanted to be. And, I, and you, you walk this thing out, and all of a sudden you're like, what? Well, God, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in my life? Where, where are you taking me and why? What's your words say about it? You start becoming really curious about it. And you start like being really, really curious about what God's doing in your life. And then you're like, well, who do I talk to? Wise counsel, right? So then you start having these like, okay, well, I'm really curious about what God's doing in my life. Wise counsel starts kicking. You're like, who's wise around me? And maybe you don't have anybody wise in your life. Then you're like, I need new friends. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe just add some wise friends. You know what I mean? So I need new friends. I need wise friends. I need wise counsel. Oh, who's speaking into my life? Well, actually, no one's speaking. Oh, what the heck am I doing with that? What am I doing? And, and then all of a sudden, you start, to, you start to remember things God told you. And you see, he brings to remembrance. I remember this, this word, this phrase that kept, God kept telling me for like four or five years. And like I stopped remembering it after a while. And it was, this one's going to require faith. And he kept saying it to me. I remember the first time he said it to me, I was praying for somebody. And I was like, well, obviously this is for the person in front of me. <laughs> and, and come to realize he's saying it to me over and over again. I'm like echo and repeat. And then, he's, and then when I'm going through this whole sanctuary, this narrow place, and I'm lacking faith, all of a sudden he reminds me of his word. He says to me, look, I told you this one was going to require faith. And guys, when, I, when, I, when he reminded me of it, it humbled me. It stripped me of my pride armor. It stripped me of my anger armor, which I'd been tapping into to endure. It's like the tools I had to get through, I learned to harness anger to increase motivation. You just keep going. You get through it by using your anger. You just push, 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 ask questions later. Well, turns out that's not a very healthy equation for your soul. Turns out your spirit it gets, starts to get jaded, it starts to get aggressive, it starts to get violent inside of you, and not in a good way. So when you and I experience moments in our life where long-suffering starts to kick in, Holy Spirit is trying to partner with you. He's trying to walk with you. And he's trying to remind you of his words he's spoken to you, remind you of his words that you've read, remind you of the words you've heard from others, and remind you of who he is in that moment for you and what he's doing in your life. If you find yourself naked, he's gonna clothe you. If you find yourself broken, he's gonna repair you. If you find yourself shackled and chained and bound, he's going to free you. There's this idea in the word, Joshua says, meditate on his word day and night. I believe meditating is a really, that word, that phrase, biblically speaking, is a beautiful, healthy, phrase for us to understand how to 
relate to the Spirit of God in a moment and His written and spoken word. That when you read His word, I want to encourage you to read it to connect. I want to, I want to discourage for a moment you to read it for information's sake. And I want, to, I want to encourage you and even teach you, read God's word to connect. So at first, when I started reading the word, and I know we're getting closer, we're past our time here. Let me finish this last point. When I first started reading the word in this new place, I realized I had all these formula ideas of how I needed to read the word. And even comparisons. I was like, well, I know Jimmy reads his word for two hours a day. And I know he wakes up at five before his kids wake up and he prays. And by the time they wake up, he's saturated in the word and he's saturated in prayer. So I'm like, that's obviously the formula. How many of you guys are in that place? You've crushed it. I was horrible at doing that. I would wake up. I would try and wake up at five and then I'd press the snooze button like 45 times. So then I woke up mad because somebody woke me up for two hours, you know, in a row. And like, and then I didn't read the word. And when I was reading the word, I was mad that I was up and I was just not in a good spot. I started to realize I had all these templates in my head of how to read the Bible. And none of them were relational with God. They were all comparison based. So I want to encourage you, don't read the word in a formulaic way or in a comparison way. Read the word to connect with God. So if you've got a reading plan that says you need to read two and a half chapters, if you connect with God in the first two verses, stop. Stop. Selah and meditate. You know what I did? I started to go like this. I started to read, and right when I'd feel the Spirit of God on a scripture, highlighted, illuminated, I'd close my eyes, I'd stop. And in the middle of Starbucks, <laughs> I'd go like this. And I'm sure at some point the employees thought I was wackadoodle. And so, and eventually I was like, okay, I don't think I need to do this anymore. I think I can just do this, you know? Like, I'm not embarrassed, but also, like, you know, I don't want them to see my belly every time. I got a long torso, man. It's hard to lift my hands straight up because then it's just... So, the, so then I start putting my hands out and just start... I start having communion with his spirit. So, so you read the word of God and you encounter God. You could just pass up the spiritual connection and keep feeding your brain, but I would encourage you to learn to read the word, encounter the spirit of God in those words, and then to sit with him. Spend some time. Let him talk to you a little bit. Let him spiritually transform you. Let the Holy Spirit's promise be like a seal upon your life. Let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. Let him fill you. There's been times where I'm just like, oh, that's great. Oh, yeah, you know? And you start, you start taking in deep breaths, and it's like God's breathing on you. Have you ever had somebody tell you about like what the Spirit's doing and you're like, that sounds weird. Have you ever had somebody say God's breathing on you? Like if you don't know what they're talking about biblically, that sounds weird. <laughs> At first you're like, what's happening? I've had dudes breathe on me. I'm like, bro, you didn't need to do that. Like I get it. God's breathing on me. You didn't have to. <laughs> but then but then but then you start hearing about these descriptions of what holy spirit does 
And they're like, Holy Spirit's breathing on you. And you're like, that sounds nuts. And then you read in the word and you actually see that like God created everything by his words. And then you read that he breathed into us and gave us life and you're like, hang on. Maybe there's something to this weird breath thing. And maybe it's not just some kind of weird wackadoodle spiritual thing some weirdo does over there or some grandma does over there that's more spiritual than me and more mystical than me. But maybe there's actually a biblical value in understanding that God breathes new life into each of us. So you don't need to be weird to have a good relationship with the Holy Spirit. No, seriously. And you can stop judging the weird ones amongst us Because there's some that are a little bit more mystical, more prophetically inclined, and a little bit weirder. Robin told me, uh, she was seeing me talking. I think, oh, wow, I'm way past my time. Wow. It's the Holy Spirit's fault, guys. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She, she was like, she's like, you know, you're kind of socially awkward, huh? I was like, dude, totally. <laughs> like, you know what I'm good at? I'm good at talking about deep things. But if you've ever walked and talked to me in the lobby and we have like an awkward moment of silence, it's because I don't know what to say. It's, it's like, <laughs> some people are laughing too hard. All right, you gotta, you gotta calm down. It's getting embarrassing. <laughs> Sometimes I literally am like, I wonder what God's doing in their life. And then it starts telling me and then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be talking. And I realized it because no one else is. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? Like, have you met my wife? She's got a great personality. <laughs> You'll never have a moment of awkward silence talking to my wife. She is the most spectacular conversationalist ever. Sometimes she's talking in the car. I'm just like, this is awesome. This could go on forever. And I'd be happy. We should probably stop here, huh? <laughs> this is a very spiritual moment to stop. <laughs> let's stand. Come on, let's finish together. Worship team, you don't have to come up. We're going to do something really weird where I don't actually end with songs. Are you guys okay with that? Or do you want to end with songs? Do you need it? I don't want to be religious about being spiritual, but... I... <laughs> do you want to come up? You don't want to come up? <laughs> I'm good. I'm just going to pray over you guys. Is that Okay. Do we need songs? David really wants to come up. That's what I see. Thumbs up. You want to come up, David? All right, let's pray together, guys. I, I really love you. I, I, if you didn't want me to go longer, I'm sorry. If you wanted music, then sing to your neighbor. Or grab an instrument. Just go. Just pray. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and bow your head so God can move. <laughs> Jesus, we're so grateful. I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for this community. Thank you that my son confronted me about wanting to speak instead of spend time with my family. Thank you, God, that you speak through my kids and my wife and this community. I, I just, I'm so thankful for you in our lives. I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. I'm really grateful you gave us the Holy Spirit. That was really cool. So grateful for the word that you inspired and you wrote your words through people. God, I'm so grateful. And I just pray you bless this community, God, that your, your seal of the Holy Spirit would be upon us. We'd live life with you. We really love you.
we really, really love you. We love the people around us, God. We forgive them. We let go of bitterness and resentment, hard hearts, God. We love them. Super grateful for you, God. Amen. Love you guys. Love on one another. You can go. You can stay. You're amazing. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.